Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 164. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. And today, my pleasure to be joined by my friend and yours, Ms. Leanne Pedante. Leanne, how are you doing? Hi, I'm so good. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I am glad to have you. Leanne, why don't you do me a favor and just give everyone a quick intro so they know who we're talking to today? Sure. So I am the head of fitness at Supernatural, which is a VR fitness solution uh, available right now on the Oculus Quest, which is how I know you, Steve. That's right. You've done some Supernatural workouts and we've met in the metaverse. That is absolutely right. So I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but everyone knows that everyone who listens to this anyway knows that I'm a, a tech nerd by trade during the day, and I've been a, a longtime VR enthusiast and interested in this stuff. A few months ago, someone in our community got me onto Supernatural, which is an app on the Quest. And basically, it's a, a full fitness app. And I was initially kind of skeptical because I thought, you know, VR, in my mind, when it was pitched to me originally, VR was something I thought of as, okay, this is for video games, mm -hmm. or this is maybe for some sort of remote training or remote meeting technology. It never occurred to me mm -hmm. in my wildest dreams that this could be a, a fitness solution. But people were swearing up and down to me that this thing is actually an incredible workout. And that's been pretty important to me personally, because, I mean, we're going into two years of this pandemic here. This is, of course, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu podcast. Leanne, I know that you train martial arts, so you're probably aware that there's really not a, an activity that is more close contact than Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You are literally <laughs> grappling with and rolling around with people on the ground and sweating in their face and their eyeballs and stuff. It's kind of gross. So as you can imagine, our sport has been heavily impacted during the last two years. You know, training is down. There's been a lot of gym closures. And for me, Brazilian jiu-jitsu has always been the only physical activity that I've ever enjoyed in my life. Mm. So it's been very critical to my sense of well-being because prior to this, I hated sports. I hated athletics. And then I discovered jiu-jitsu. And then that suddenly out of nowhere in 2020, now jiu-jitsu is gone. And mm. I really wish I'd discovered Supernatural earlier in the pandemic because it is the only other workout that I actually find fun other than Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Mm. And it's one of the only workouts that fits nicely into my circumstances. I mean, mm -hmm. there, 
obviously gyms are not as available as they used to be. There's been a lot of gym closures and, you know, you don't want to go out and get get packed into a gym with 200 people if you can avoid it. So I'm in a situation where I don't have a ton of space at home for workout equipment, which takes a lot of things off the table. I got cats and children running around here. And so I got to be careful not to do any of those like home Nike aerobics routines because if I'm doing box jumps in the living room I might step on my cat or you know kick my toddler by accident so I got a lot of limitations and it's been very hard to find things that I enjoy and that I can do without a ton of equipment and that I can do from home and I can do easily and I never would have thought in a million years that you could do a high intensity interval workout on a VR headset but holy moly the amount of calories this thing burns is just mind-blowing. So for me, that is, of course, how I discovered you and and discovered this program. With that said, why don't you talk a little bit about this? I mean, give it a plug. I I know that everyone and their dog this Christmas got a VR headset. So (laughs) talk about it. Tell people what this thing is and what makes it unique. Yeah, absolutely. So the Quest itself, right, is a wireless two and a half pound headset that as soon as you slide it down onto your face, you are completely immersed in whatever VR environment you're in. And Supernatural uses that to basically transport you to any, you know, dozens and dozens of places around the world. So you slide this headset on, I appear in, you know, holographic form in front of you. Maybe we're standing on the Great Wall of China or we're standing at a lake in Oregon. It's 360 degrees and immersive. So if you turn around, there's water moving behind you. There's birds flying in the sky. I welcome you to our workout, tell you kind of what we're going to do, what genre of music we're going to party to. And then the workout starts and that the workout either consists of what we call flow, which is an aerobic kind of dance influenced full body movement with striking targets and squatting and lunging through triangles. Or we have our boxing modality where you're throwing punches and striking targets or slipping out of the way and, you know, bobbing and weaving. So we have these awesome relationships with music providers and our music curation team is very, very into what they do. So we push the boundaries of kind of what traditional workout music you expect. So I just released a couple of days ago our holiday boxing workout, which was to the Symphony of the Nutcracker Suite. You sure did. <laughs> it was the first time in my life I've ever thrown punches to classical music. And I was totally shocked pleasantly at how fun it was. I mean, you just get completely swept away with feeling like this badass maestro as you're like standing at the base of a glacier and smashing targets in boxing combinations while listening to Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies. (laughs) It's incredible, right? So like, and then as you're doing this workout, the coach stays with you via voiceover. So, you know, for everything that you're doing, we actually as coaches, when we record the voiceover, we do, we're doing the workout. So I have the headset on, I have a mic strapped to my headset and I'm moving at the same time that we're recording my audio. And while I'm moving, just like I would in any group fitness class, I'm giving cues to kind of how to execute what we're doing, you know, safely, better, how to stay motivated. So the result is that, you know, these workouts allow you to kind of escape 
you know, the four walls of your house or apartment, you travel all over the globe, you listen to some of, you know, the best music in the world, and you have a coach who's like right there with you, kind of keeping you motivated, telling stupid jokes, like making sure that, you know, you just feel like you have somebody that's your personal cheerleader. And that's kind of the magic of Supernatural. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things we were talking about this earlier. It's like the Matrix, right? VR in general is really hard to describe to someone. You kind of have to try it yourself. Yeah. But for me, when I tried it, one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize about this technology is that it's got really sophisticated movement tracking capabilities in both of the handhelds that you put in your hands and also in the headset itself. So it can do really cool things mm-hmm. like actually track the speed of your punches and the accuracy of your punches. It's not like a video game where you press A to punch or press B to punch. I mean, it is fully tracking your movements exactly, yeah. which feels incredibly immersive. And what's crazy is because it's got these tracking things in it, you can actually measure your performance. And there have been times when one of the coaches, I, I was actually talking to a coach doc, one of the other coaches on there. In one of the, the sessions, he gave some very specific pointed advice and said, okay, you know, when you're throwing, you need to do this, you need to do this. And I tried it and you can actually see your accuracy and your hand speed go up, which is really, really cool. So if anyone is a data nerd like I am and you like to track this kind of stuff, it's a level of performance tracking that you're not going to get from just a heart rate monitor or something like that. So it's really interesting. Definitely recommend if you don't have one of these headsets, I'm sure one of your relatives does. (laughs) So if if your brother got one during Christmas, give it a try. It's a super cool technology. And anyway, long story short, that's that's your story. That's how I met you, Leanne, and uh, <laughs> been a happy user of this thing for a few months. And with that said, I'd like to talk a little bit about my virtual relationship with you specifically. <laughs> so the, the thing that I liked about Supernatural that really stood out to me out of the gate was your coaching method specifically. In addition to all of the cool VR stuff, I mean, VR without a good coach is just a tool. Having a mm. good coach is so much a part of it. And I have been someone who has never in my life identified as an athlete or even someone who really likes physical fitness. It's just never been my thing. When I was a kid, I just, I hated gym class. I hated my gym teacher. And just, I wound up with kind of like a very negative perception of athletics in general. I know there's people out there who their idea of a good time is they want to go and do like a 10K run and burn themselves out. And to them, that's the best feeling in the world. Not me. I hate it. Right. I I don't identify as an athlete, really. I've always been very resistant to get into athletics because I just don't identify as that kind of person. And as a result, there's very few things in my life from an athletic standpoint that I enjoy. Jiu-jitsu came to me as really the first physical activity I enjoyed. And of course, during the pandemic, my ability to train has been reduced. Mm-hmm. And Supernatural is, like I said, is one of the only other activities that I truly enjoy. And the thing that really stuck out to me about your approach was you have a really incredible ability to make things like strength and conditioning and physical fitness appealing to people who don't already like it. Right. I I get the feeling that if you're coaching athletes, it's probably a lot easier to get them on board because they want to be there. But 
what about coaching a 50-year-old accountant who's got three kids and mm-hmm. has never thought of themselves as an athlete and they're intimidated as all hell, right? Yeah. How do you reach out to that person? Because those are the people who probably stand to gain the most. And I know that as a coach, that's probably one of the hardest things to, to do. And I'd love to explore, how do you do that? How do you make strength and conditioning accessible to normal mortals like myself? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, this is one of my favorite, absolute favorite topics in the world to talk about. So just a fair warning, please (laughs) jump in and cut me off uh, if I get carried away. So, you know, the reason I think, and, and, you know, thank you for everything that you just said, because my, my dream, my goal in what I do is, is to make people feel like what you just described, because I was never an athlete until pretty late in life. I'm 37 now. I basically, you know, kind of started, started my fitness journey when, when I was about 27, 28. So I was like well into, you know, kind of adulthood and, and well into having a very cemented idea of the type of person that I was by the time I started working out. Right. And so I went through all of these things that I think a lot of the folks that I work with in Supernatural, that I've worked with in my career, also have to go through to start working out, to become an athlete, to think of themselves as a person who like wants to move their body. And, you know, for me, that shift was kind of one of the very pivotal things in my life, not because I had any particular type of like grandiose physical transformation, but because I had like a psychological and emotional shift where it's like once I realized that, oh, like I can, I can do these hard things. I actually am, have been limiting my idea of my capabilities and I've been limiting my idea of what I, what's possible for me once I started to work out and realized that like I could be a like quote workout person. And then that example and that lived experience went on to open up the rest of my life because it was like, oh, well, if I don't, if I don't know this about myself, then like, what else don't I know? You know, if I, if I'm, if I was so wrong about whether or not I could be a workout person, then like, what else am I wrong at? And I feel like I got so much braver and I got so much bolder and like, including taking, you know, shifting from being a career graphic designer to doing what I do now, which is nothing that I would have imagined I was going to do 15 years ago. So this is a topic that's like super, super close to me and dear to my heart. But to your question of like, how do, how do you do this? I think one of the first things that folks can do is to take kind of an inventory of their beliefs and start to dismantle the stuff they is that they cannot prove and that is not true and is not serving them. So I'll use myself as an example, right? Like, you know, so when I was started to first go into the gym, I had made up so many stories about what was going on in there. I was making up stories about people looking at me and thinking that I didn't belong there, about how weak I was, about what areas of the gym I could go to. In my mind, it was like, oh, I can go to the cardio equipment, but like those free weights, I don't know, that's scary, that's bad territory, I don't know what to do over there, right? Like I had all of these ideas. I also had all these ideas about (laughs) I don't know about myself, 
really wanting to be an artist and really feeling like I identified as an artist. And somehow I, along my, you know, childhood, young adulthood, I had taken that and twisted it to mean that I could, I could be an artist or I could be like a jock, but you can't be both of those things, which is ridiculous, right? Like that's not a true thing. There's no universal law that makes that so, but like this was a thought somewhere kind of tucked in my head that was totally keeping me from like taking any action because it created this like cognitive dissonance inside of me. So I kind of needed to like try, start to try new things, see what came up as far as what thoughts, what objections, what like ridiculous lies my brain spun out, and then really start to like look at them and like grab them one by one and flip them around and investigate and be like, is this true? Does this make any sense? Like, where did this come from? And so I feel like there's like a level of unlearning we have to do before really taking a ton of action or else I think you put yourself in a place where you're like driving with your foot on the brake and the gas, right? If you're just trying to pummel through without kind of like dismantling these myths that you've come to believe, you know, over your lifetime. Does that make sense? (laughs) Absolutely. And what you're saying actually strikes pretty close to home for me because I remember having this exact revelation where I kind of had to question my beliefs about what fitness was. Like I said, when I was younger, I used to have a very negative relationship with all forms of athletics. Most of it came from just, I used to hate gym class in high school. I hated the people Mm -hmm. there. I hated the coaches there. It was Mm -hmm. such a negative experience for me. And it, it really painted all of athletics and the type of people even who do that to me with a really negative brush. When I was in my, my twenties, my mid twenties, at some point I realized, okay, well, I have, even if I hate this, I have to at least do something to stay in shape because I, you know, for my own health, if nothing else, I have to get some exercise. So I used to think when I started getting exercise that it was almost about suffering in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, it never occurred to me that exercise was something I could enjoy. I used to Mm -hmm. think that it was something you endured Mm -hmm. and it was kind of like an act of self-punishment or self-flagellation. I mean, I remember I would go to the gym and I hated it every second of it. And my strategy for getting through it was I would load up my my video or my podcast player with as much content as I possibly could and do anything I could to distract myself from the fact that I was doing exercise. So I'd be sitting there watching movies and trying not to think about the fact that I'm on a treadmill at the moment because I hated every second of it. And for me, when that flipped was when I tried martial arts and I tried Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I realized... I don't have to hate physical activities. I just hadn't found the ones yet that I actually enjoyed. And that very much changed my, my philosophy towards fitness and when my my jujitsu training wound down during the pandemic, the only other time in my life I felt that way about a physical activity is VR exercise, specifically Mm -hmm. supernatural. And that mental shift for me, realizing that I don't have to hate this, (laughs) you know, it, it doesn't have to be something I suffer through, was the moment where I started to embrace physical activity into my life a little bit more and enjoy it more than I had in the past. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That really resonates with me, too. I, you know, I'll, I've shared this before kind of in other interviews and, and want to share it now because it just it feels so familiar to what you just spoke of, which is that like, 
Like you, I totally was like, I could not be less interested in sports or people who played sports or the idea of sports. My dad was very into baseball and like wanted nothing more than for me to get involved in some sort of sporting activity when I was a kid. (laughs) And he loves to tell this story of the moment that he knew that I was not going to be an athlete, which was when he forced me to play, you know, t-ball or little league when I was very young and I came and he's he's the coach of our team and I ran off the field and I'm like dad 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 and he's like talking to someone else I'm like dad look at me look at me look at me and he's like finally looks down and I use the reflection of his sunglasses to like fix my hair and he's like oh yeah this is, <laughs> she's not the one we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have to try with her brother because uh, this isn't gonna work out but yeah I mean in school I skipped gym class almost exclusively throughout high school I don't think that I went to a single session so yeah I was like you know, I was just not not into it and then and, you know, I, I had this very kind of very sudden onset when I was a senior in high school of depression, basically, that manifested in anorexia and bulimia. And all of a sudden, I went from never thinking about exercise, never thinking about food to being completely obsessed with it. And I spent several years kind of spiraling into this like really hard and dark place with eating disorders and depression. And so during that time, exercise all of a sudden came into my life, but in this very punishing way where it was just about, I have to gruel out this time so that I can subtract calories so that I can make myself smaller. And, and, and it was all just this like very miserable math equation that I was kind of chipping away at. And luckily, you know, I had the support and, and resource to get help and therapy and all kinds of treatment over the years. And so, you know, by the time I kind of hit my early twenties, I had stabilized a lot. I found a lot of tools that helped me, but I was really afraid to ever exercise again because my only experience with it was that it was going to be this thing that was like, A, going to take over my life and B, that could only kind of could be this like miserable punishing relationship. And one of the, one of the things when I finally re-entered a gym, I went to like a step aerobics class at the YMCA and it was straight up, you know, 1994, like me and 20 65-year-old women doing step aerobics to like Motown music. (laughs) And everybody in there was so full of joy. Everybody was like pumping each other up. It felt like church. It felt like, you know, just this like communal, joyful experience. And I didn't think for a moment about like having to force myself to be there. And that was how I kind of became really fascinated by group fitness and started to plant the seed of wanting to someday be a trainer because it was the context was just so different from what I had experienced. And I was like, holy shit, you know, sorry, can you curse? (laughs) Oh, go for it. We curse all the time. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And I was just like, holy shit, like these people are are having fun and they are like strong. And I was like, and then I started to do other classes where like we were lifting weights and I would see again, these women that were, you know, 30 and 40 years older than me hauling twice as much weight as I was. And I was just like, this is incredible. Like I want to be strong like these ladies. And then I started doing cardio boxing classes and that was like, 
I mean, that was like the Mecca for me. Like I just was throwing punches and listening to music and being surrounded by like good vibes. It was like, okay, okay, this, like, this feels really good. So that was a big shift for me. And eventually I, you know, started to get certified and started Muay Thai. And yeah, I'm so grateful that I kind of had that re-entry experience because I spent a lot of time in that place that you're describing of just like pure punishment and misery, (laughs) which is not, you know, I think a lot of people hang there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I agree completely. And I think that's why some people have such a, an adversarial relationship to physical fitness, just because they have these preconceived notions based on past life experiences. I mean, I, I remember, you know, when I was a kid, I failed high school gym class twice onto the topic of, you know, you mentioned you skipped gym class. <laughs> yes. I failed it twice to the point where I almost didn't graduate from high school. I had to really <laughs> hustle to get my, like my grades were fine everywhere else. It was just gym class. And that's pretty impressive when you consider that at least where I live in gym in high school, you are guaranteed a passing mark as long as you show up. You could you don't have to do anything. You can show up to class and just sit on the floor like a plank and you'll pass (laughs) because like the attendance aspect is enough of your gym class mark to get you to graduation. But I hated the class so much. I just couldn't bring myself to go. It was full of just like people I that I couldn't relate to there, you know, it was full of, of course, jock bullies, people. I, and I kind of almost developed like a degree of contempt for the whole physical fitness right. thing. And then I had the same shift as you were when I went to jujitsu, I realized, holy moly, there's actually normal people who do this stuff. It's not just a bunch of like, you know, like aggro bros who want to just be <laughs> jerks and weirdos. There's regular human beings who do this stuff and they actually enjoy it. <laughs> and there's a communal aspect to sports that I, I never understood before. I didn't realize that so much of doing athletics and sports is about building and enhancing your personal social network and making friends and meeting people. I mean, I met my wife doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I never would have thought that that was such a key part of sports. I thought sports was about self-flagellation. You know, like when those monks, when they do something bad and they sin, they have to like whip themselves. I thought that's (laughs) what sports was. You know, you go and eat a donut and then you have to punish yourself by running on a treadmill for an hour. I didn't realize that sports was also part of your social network and part of how you you meet people. It becomes your third place where you go and you you make friends, you socialize, you relax. And it wasn't until I started the martial arts that that unlocked for me. And it was such a revelation that the, the human engagement is actually one of the main reasons why you would ever want to do this stuff. That was a big deal when I realized it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and that's like, you know, I feared when I think back to like gym class and what I, what I thought sports was or what I thought, you know, yeah, athleticism was in my head. A lot of my resistance came from a fear of competition. Like I just assumed that it was full of judgment that I was being judged, that I was going to be found, you know, lacking and lesser than. And so, you know, rather than put myself up to that, I just opted out, right? And just decided not to participate, which is so interesting because like when you find a good sport or when you find a good sporting community, it's almost the exact opposite of that. Like you you get welcomed in with this inclusivity and with this like lack of judgment that you then form this communal relationship that allows you to be competitive because like you feel safe enough to then push yourself and to try to, you know, 
engage in like one-on-one competition if it's, you know, combat sport or, but like you need to have some sense of like social safeness to even start to conceive of doing that, you know? And I think like, you know, being in high school with a bunch of hormonal, (laughs) horrible teenagers doesn't provide like the sense of emotional safeness that we could probably use for that. Well, I, I think this is another reason why people are intimidated by things like going to the gym, right? We had a guest a while ago on the show, a longtime friend of mine. Her name is Valerie Worthington. She's a multi-time Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt world champion. And she's also a, a personal coach and a professor at a university somewhere in the States where she teaches human psychology. And she talks about this stuff a lot. And she was talking about how, look, if you're a 20-year-old single male and you hop into a gym you know, maybe you're in decent shape. It's not that intimidating because you're kind of going to walk in there and you're going to be surrounded by people who are like you. But if you are a 50-year-old accountant with three kids, you've never done anything in your life that kind of falls under the the fitness spectrum. And then you Mm -hmm. go to a gym like that for the first time, you're surrounded by young athletic people who are benching hundreds of pounds. You don't feel like you belong because you go in there and you immediately get all of these social cues that like, oh, wow, I'm different from these people. These people are not my tribe. And I think that's one of the reasons why casual people uh, have such a hard time integrating into athletic culture is because it just it looks different, right? These people look and they act differently from you when you have, you know, when you've had a beer gut your whole life, it's hard mm-hmm. to walk into a gym full of jack people and be like, Man, I'm just like these dudes, <laughs> right? It's it's incredibly Yeah, totally. These are my people. <laughs> yeah, it's incredibly intimidating. And I remember one of the things that really shocked me when I started the martial arts is I kind of thought I was going to get locked in a room with a bunch of like UFC fighters who were going to just beat the crap out of me. <laughs> and actually, it's a bunch of like moms and dads and accountants and lawyers and dentists and plumbers and carpenters. It's just regular folks. 95, maybe 99 percent of the people who train Brazilian jiu-jitsu are what I would consider to be normies, <laughs> meaning, yeah. they, meaning they're they're not like going to step into a cage and beat ass on someone like they're, they're just regular people who love this hobby and it's kind of their anchor and it's their it, it's their focus for physical activities. It's just it's their third place. It's their thing that they love to do. Other than that, you know, they're regular people. You would never think walking down the street that this dude is a black belt who could tie you up with your pajamas or anything, but mm-hmm. you just you realize okay, there's, this is actually normal people. These people are just like me. And to me, that was one of the seductive things about getting into this martial art is I realized, oh, I am like these people. Yes, they've trained this longer than me, but I don't have to be in great shape to start. I can start from wherever I am and these people will welcome me into their community. Mm-hmm. And that for me was such a revelation when I got into jujitsu and fitness in general. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Totally. I can't, I, I can't tell you. I, the, when I finally decided to, that I wanted to start, I had been doing cardio boxing. I had started to like do pads with the trainer, but I really wanted to like learn how to spar, learn how to fight. And there's a gym with a, that's really close to my house. I, 
I can't tell you how many times I looked at the website, drove by, like looked at the website again, drove by, went in once and was terrified and then spent another like six months debating whether I should belong there and should go back. I mean, I wish the amount of time that I wasted when I could have been training and getting better is so frustrating to me now because I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) But, you know, I think that that's so normal and that barrier to entry is you know, very, very understandable. And the, you know, the reality is that once I think it's for anybody who has like gone through the mental gymnastics to get themselves to, to walk through the, the scary doors and that has stuck around, I think, you know, then it's our responsibility to make all future first timers feel as absolutely welcome and unscared as possible. I, you know, constantly, I don't work for the Muay Thai gym where I go to, but I'm always asked that because as soon as I see a new face, I like hop on this person, like a little aggressive, like love bug. And I'm like, Hey, what's your name? Like, how would, yeah, come over here. I'll show you how to wrap your hands. Like, 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 Oh yeah. The real owners are over there, but I'm, I'm the welcome committee, you know, because you have to, it's just like, you know how hard it is. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, man, you I I can tell you a story about doing it the wrong way. I remember one time I was at a fitness gym. So not not a jujitsu gym, just a traditional, you know, lots of weight equipment, treadmills and stuff gym. I go into the gym, I'm doing my workout, and this little old dude wanders in, probably 60, 70 years old, I would guess. Pretty clearly had never gone to a gym before in his life. He'd worked up the courage to do it, wanting to get into better shape. So he goes to the front desk and I remember watching him there and he's talking to the trainers and they're kind of explaining to him how this thing works. And they tell him, "Okay, well, you know, we'll do a personal session with you. First thing you got to do is get changed. And this was a good example of where we don't realize that there's a lot of norms and cultural things about being a fitness person that we don't do a good job onboarding people about. I mean, if you've ever been to a gym, you know that there's a change room for, you know, when you go to the change room and blah, 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 and there's probably a locker. This guy had never been to a gym in his life. So when he was told to get changed, he just dropped his pants right in the middle of the gym. And you can imagine that everyone stopped and basically laughed at this guy. And I'm thinking like, you dumb idiots. Like this yeah. guy's never going to come back. Right. He's 60, 70 years old. He worked up the courage to go way outside of his comfort zone, way out. You surround himself by young athletic people who are nothing like him. He worked up that courage. And then, you know, he did something because he didn't understand the norms and all of you idiots made fun of him. And now he's never going to come back. And now you've closed the door to this person on because he'll probably never come to a gym again because of this. Right. right. I've seen the same thing in really bad jujitsu gyms where someone will come in and it's their first time doing anything athletic and they basically humiliate this person with a killer workout in front of everyone or they Mm -hmm. throw them into a shark tank and they get submitted 800 times in five minutes because they don't know what they're Mm -hmm. doing right i hate that approach right because to me fitness is about inclusivity it's about bringing people into the fold and showing them that fitness can be something you enjoy and it can be a way you meet people and it can be part of your social network and it can improve your life and man, you know, when, when you fail to make fitness inclusive for new people, it just grinds my gears. Because- yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> totally. Oh, my gosh. Totally, totally. I, I couldn't agree more. And that's, you know, I'll say that that's one of the things that I hear over and over again talking to people about Supernatural is that because of the nature of VR, because of how absolutely immersive it is, I mean, you slide this thing onto your face and you truly are no longer 
standing where you were standing 30 seconds ago. You are, it is so, you know, there's headphones embedded in the headset. So there's, you know, ambient sounds, there's everything changes and you have no worry that anyone is watching you. You feel totally like there's no opportunity to compare yourself to other people and you can't see your own body when you're working out, which I think is in a lot of ways, a huge bonus, you know, in so many gyms, you're surrounded by mirrors. And when I started finally, you know, when I really shifted out of graphic design and became a full-time personal trainer, I worked, what part of my business was that I worked exclusively with people that were coming out of eating disorder treatment, because there's, you know, obviously like a lot of considerations and a lot of normal trainers aren't equipped to kind of accommodate them the way that they need to if they want to move their bodies. And one of the biggest requests that I had from people was like, is there somewhere that we can go to work out where there's no mirrors? Because that is so triggering. And it's really hard to find any fitness space that isn't surrounded by wall-to-wall mirrors. So in Supernatural, you have no mirrors. You basically are only the movement that you're doing. You're only the boxing gloves or the bats that you're using to strike with. And I think that that is so healing and so freeing for so many people. And I've heard that from our community over and over again. And just like, yeah, I love that. I love that we can offer that to people. Yeah, this is something that I can definitely relate to as well this idea of of kind of escaping and being in a place of no judgment when you try things out one of the things that i actually really like about the supernatural program is i feel like i can kind of get my feet wet on fitness and get comfortable with it before i i dive into something more intense and and i'll explain what i mean by this when i started jujitsu i was mid-20s, single, young, and I was in relatively decent shape already from going to the gym. Like I said, I used to suffer through that a lot. And I kind of made the decision when I started doing jujitsu that like, look, I I know I'm probably going to get publicly humiliated doing this out of the (laughs) gate, but screw it. I'm just going to tough it out and stick through it. And I'm sure enough, that's what happened, right? I started. And of course, I got my ass handed to me repeatedly for months and months and months. And then eventually Mm -hmm. you learn to defend yourself. But where I am now in life, if I had never done that, if you asked me, you know, if I'd never trained before and you asked me today at almost 40 years old to hop into a jujitsu gym, I'm not sure if I would do it, right? It's, you know, when when you're an older, less athletic, you know, father, career person, it's a lot harder to go outside of your comfort zone like that than when you're younger and you just don't care. And I found a similar experience with Supernatural because despite the fact that I'm a jujitsu black belt, I've actually never done a striking class in my life. Mm. And it's not for lack of interest, but I have to admit, I, I have been a little bit intimidated about that beginner experience again, right? It's kind of scary to walk into a boxing gym if you don't even know how to throw a punch. And I've been doing the boxing routines on Supernatural and I don't by any means have the illusion that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go and like win golden gloves because I did VR boxing. (laughs) I, I fully understand that there's still a difference between having a real opponent and not, but it's helped me understand the form and understand the motions enough that 
I would feel comfortable now just walking into a boxing gym and just doing stuff, right? It, yeah. It's given me the confidence to go over that that hump because I'm I'm not coming in from a place of zero knowledge anymore where I'd feel like an idiot. I'm coming in from a place of minimal knowledge, but enough that I know I can walk in and I'm not going to be mocked for not knowing how to throw a punch because you taught me that already. And I know it's different from the way you would do it against a real opponent, but I have enough confidence having used this tool that I could translate that into going to a boxing gym. And, and I feel like that is one of the the powerful things about VR, actually, is that it gives you the ability to try that thing that you, you feel might humiliate you, but to do it in completely by yourself in an immersive environment. And if you like it, then you can go to the gym and then you'll fit in better. Right. So totally. That, Absolutely. Yeah. To me, that's one of the the big things. I mean, I know that they say that one of the most exciting things about VR is the ability to use it to to train useful skills, right? I mean, ideally, you can use VR to train people on trades, anything that requires physical movement. That's a, a really exciting future. And boxing is really the only example I've seen where that actually has, has translated into something that most people can use. I mean, I feel like most people, if they did a month or two of boxing in Supernatural and they'd never done striking before, and then they walk into a boxing gym, I, I got the feeling that probably most coaches would be surprised that this person has never actually attended a class, but they'd be surprised by how well that person can move without having really sparred before. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, even just to have a, a basis and a context for the language, right? You know what a jab is, you know what a hook is, you know what, like, what it means to use your feet or use your hips. Like, all of those are things you have to learn. It's not like, you know, even if you're a, yeah, if you've never, if you've never taken a boxing class, all of those punch names are even totally new, right? So that's like a barrier that you don't have to worry about anymore. And I've seen, yeah, you know, I, I keep talking about our community. We, we have a Facebook community of members that's now, I think, over 30,000 people, which is just like amazing because I remember so distinctly when we launched Supernatural and it was like me and the other coaches and like 12 people, you know, <laughs> whose names we all knew. And we still know, you know, dozens and dozens of members' names because we are all of the coaches, a lot, most of our team, actually, engineers and curators are all part of the group. And we hear people's stories and we talk to folks every single day. But, you know, it's been really fascinating and super exciting to see people who started with Supernatural post, I just took a spin class for the first time. I just ran a 5K for the first time in my life. I mean, folks are, are expand, like I said, they're expanding their view of who they are and what they can do and what they want to try based on getting some footing and gaining some confidence and feeling some security and movement in Supernatural. And like that to me, you know, is so exciting. It's like no part of, you know, no one in Supernatural, like, designed this this product with the goal of like trapping people in it and you know none of us feel afraid that people are gonna like go try other things it's like no that would that's amazing like how what a beautiful gift if we can make people feel confident and competent enough to go try other things like that's so cool that to me feels like such a big kind of sign of of success in a way you know 
Yeah, it's like a gateway drug in a good way, right? In a good way. (laughs) It gives people the the first step and that first bit of confidence to feel like I can do this. And that makes it so much easier to then leap into the fire pit and go to a gym and go outside of your comfort zone, which is such a part of fitness, right? Is always going outside of your comfort zone. Something that you've said, right? Nothing cool happens in the comfort zone. A favorite Leanne (laughs) quote of mine. Something I'd love to pick your brain on, on the topic of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, one of the funny things about this sport of mine here that I train is that it is surrounded and filled with people who are not athletes and people who are not even necessarily athletic. The funny thing about jiu-jitsu, and really I think the key to its popularity, is that you can be an incredibly successful fighter without really being athletic at all. Mm. When you look at other martial arts like boxing, kickboxing, even even things like judo, so much of it is kinetic, right? So much of it is based on timing, momentum, movement. So there's very much an aspect of athleticism to it. Whereas one of the things about jujitsu is you're given the tools and techniques to slow the fight down and to kind of gradually take the person into deep waters. And mm-hmm. ideally, if you're doing jujitsu properly, what you're trying to do is remove movement. You're trying to basically pin and immobilize your opponent so they can't move. So this creates this funny dichotomy where if you get really good at jujitsu, it's actually not really a great workout because you're not moving at all. <laughs> you know, I, I remember when I started jujitsu, I was doing backflips and cartwheels and burning tons of calories. I lost 10 pounds in the first month I did it. But now having so much experience at it, I'm so efficient that I find it's no longer a sufficient workout for me because I can just sit there and just pin someone onto their ass and they can't move. (laughs) So (laughs) unfortunately, that means that I'm not getting the actual exercise. So the funny thing about jujitsu then is you encounter all of these people who are technically very dangerous from a martial arts standpoint, but they're not necessarily athletic or in great shape. And what I have found is that there's a lot of people who are all in on jujitsu, but they're just, they don't have that athletic mindset. They don't think of themselves that way. And so as a result, their strength and conditioning is actually non-existent to terrible. And this is something I'd love to pick your brain on is how do you introduce strength and conditioning to people like that who are, for the lack of a better term, hobbyists? You know, they maybe they're not totally sedentary. Maybe they've got an activity, but they don't think of themselves as athletes and they don't do strength and conditioning. How would you introduce that into someone's life? Hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear you say this because I I have never, no, that's not true. I've done exactly two jujitsu classes in my life, even in Muay Thai, when we have to do clinch, which is basically, you know, stand up grappling. It is my least, least favorite thing <laughs> in the world. I am so, I'm such a baby about it. That's why I've gotten really good at teeping people so that I just keep them far enough away so they never have to grab my face and put it into their stomach. But so, you know, excuse me for not knowing a ton about jiu-jitsu, even though it's very <laughs> parallel to a lot of the things that I do. But it's interesting to hear you you describe it like that because in, yeah, I guess I, I have this perception of jiu-jitsu being so hard and so challenging and the endurance strength, so the ability to like hold and grip and maintain a position for a very long time is is something that's really impressive to me. My general approach to most things and, and to this question also is like, do the thing that feels the most fun first. <laughs> and like, I don't care, you know, there are trainers who like, 
when they take on a client or when they're giving advice, they want to give the most expert piece of information, right? Yeah. So like if you're going to do jujitsu, you know, I don't know, you want your grip strength to be good and you need to make your core really strong and you have to get your cardio up. And so I'm going to have you do these very specific exercises and these very specific protocols. But it's like, if the actuality of doing those things sucks or feels boring or feels dreadful, it doesn't matter how good it is because you're not going to want to do it. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> like if, you know, I think part of the magic sauce that I have found is like I do my conditioning with other people because I don't want to do it on my own because I don't want to push myself that hard. And if it's up to me, I probably will get five minutes in and be like, I'm going to check my phone. Right. So, you know, I really like group classes. I think there's, there's so much value in that. And it's like, you know, you can find within that things that you like doing. I think once you kind of get started, or just picking like an aspect of something that you really want to get good at, like for, you know, last year, early in the pandemic, I had access to some barbells and I was just like, okay, well, I'm just going to like work on my deadlift. I've never like tried to deadlift a lot of weight. And it did, you know, it's not the, it's not the exercise that necessarily makes me uh, like the most efficiently better at Muay Thai or the most efficiently better at running. You know, there could be an argument that like deadlifting and gaining mass is actually going to slow me down or you know, you could really get into the weeds with that stuff of like, is it the best exercise? But it was something that felt compelling to me enough that I would do it and would show up and would be like, oh, cool, I did five more pounds than I did last week. Like, that's exciting to me. That's giving me a little dopamine hit. And so now I'm going to like come back and do it again in three days. So I think, you know, finding out like what excites you, doing it as a group or doing it with another person is like those are those are the two big ones for me cuz really you know there's there's very little things that you're going to do especially as like a hobbyist that are going to completely like undermine your training. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess any motion even if it's less than optimal is better than no motion at all, right? It's it's better to be doing things in maybe a suboptimal way or maybe not doing it the way the pros would do it. It's better to be doing something than to be doing nothing at all. It's funny, this is something that I see in jiu-jitsu a lot where there is almost an obsession with how do the best in the world do this? And, mm -hmm. you, and you'll see this a lot, right? There's a handful of grapplers out there who are you know, you would consider the best in the world. And everyone is always obsessed with microanalyzing everything those people do. So you'll get a lot of gyms who will say, well, I need you to do this because all of the world champs do this. You need to train mm -hmm. this way because that's what the world champs do. And it's like, well, look, that's great and all, but you're not training a world champ right now. You're training a white belt who's been here for one month. <laughs> you know, they're, right. they're just getting started. They don't know what the heck any of these moves are. And you got to work up to that, right? You got to start at a realistic level. And I notice sometimes when, when coaches get, you know, fresh meat, they've got a new student, they kind of try to take all of the tools and tactics that the elite competitors use and they try to train new hobbyists that way. And it's like, man, you gotta, you gotta work up to that, right? You gotta start people off gently and you never know those people, right? You get them into the weeds and if they fall in love with this, they might be that world champion one day, but they're not the first day they start and yeah. you've got to build them up. And that means you've got to always be, you know, kind of like close to their comfort zone, but just pushing just a little bit outside. You can't take a day one white belt and train them like they're a black belt because you're just going to be sending a, a subtle signal to this person that they're no good. And that's the yeah. last thing you want to do if you're a coach. 
Yeah, totally. Totally. You have to like meet people where they are and, and you have to have enough like sugar with the medicine to keep them coming back, you know, and, and we have to do that with ourselves. Like we have to, we have to make sure that we are creating when whatever choices we're making for the way that we move and who we train with and what we do and what the context is and how it feels like we have to make sure that we are making it fun and enjoyable enough that it does not become a source of stress and dread in our lives you know and it needs to feel like something that you're excited to do and you know and if it doesn't then that that to me is plenty of reason to like shift gears and change. I will say, you know, as a as a person nearing 40 uh, faster every day that now more than 10 years ago, a big part of my training is like, what do I need to do to make sure I don't get injured so that I can keep doing the fun thing that I want to do? <laughs> yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. So, you know, I think that that's something to consider. Um, and that for me, like, again, there are a few things that I find less enjoyable in life than doing the physical therapy exercises that I'm supposed to do. <laughs> so that is a place where I pay to train with someone once a week. And I say, please let us do these stupid knee strengthening exercises. And I know if I cancel, I will, it'll be a my monetary hit. And so I'm not going to cancel. And, you know, that, that's been a really good investment for me because I spent, I, I blew my knee out like two years ago. I was preparing for a fight, tried to toss somebody again, not good at jujitsu, hate grappling, did a terrible job and basically just slammed this dude's body into my kneecap, dislocated it, tore my impo fell, shipped off a bunch of bone. So like, I'm still always in the process now of trying to get that part of my body to move correctly and to not hurt. But yeah, I mean, you know, I spent like a year and a half after the injury being like, well, I'm a trainer and I was, I'm not, I'm going to do this myself. I know all of the anatomy things that I need to know to be able to rehab myself. Yeah, you can know all that shit, but if you, <laughs> if you don't do it, then you still don't get better. So just in the past, like, year, I started to recruit outside help. And wow, has that made a huge difference. <laughs> so funny you bring that up because within our sport, and I'm presuming this probably translates to most of the other combat sports, most of the people I know who train jujitsu, they're really stubborn and they don't like being told what to do. So they're kind, of, <laughs> they're kind of the last thing they want to do is go and seek out an expert or a coach who can help them out. But that's often so critical to your long-term success is to have a coach like that because you know even if you technically are an expert and you know everything right. it's still different having someone on the outside who can watch you and help guide you and and maybe point things out that you might not see or keep you motivated or if nothing else right so yeah. i think a lot of the time people think i don't need a i don't need a coach for this i'll just wing it and learn it myself and this is something that blows my mind in the jiu-jitsu space, there's a lot of like world-class jiu-jitsu competitors who have no idea how to properly do strength and conditioning. They basically just wing it. And the, the mm. extent of their strength and conditioning is, well, I'll just keep working harder and harder and harder. Mm. But there, there's nothing scientific about it. They're not thinking about their nutrition. They're not thinking about, you know, which muscle groups they want to target. They don't have a plan. They're just trying to basically brute force it by just working harder and harder and harder. And uh, it's funny that that you'll see people who have won world championships multiple times and they have like no strength and conditioning program. They've never thought about it. They just go and they they run as fast as they can and they lift as much as they can. 
and, and I always get a kick out of how non-scientific these people are in their training. And I, I really sort of feel like an, a good investment for most jujitsu athletes would be get a damn strength and conditioning coach who can actually supervise what you're doing and tell you what to do. Oh my God. Yes. I totally agree. I see you see that. And, and, you know, yeah, I feel like that's the, so universal in a lot in combat sports is like the guidance of a striking coach of how to do strength and conditioning <laughs> is to basically just like do as many burpees as you can until you throw up. Right. And like, that's <laughs> like, that is not a strategy, <laughs> nor is it making you better at anything except not throwing up. Like, yeah. <laughs> that is the only skill that you're gaining. Yeah, I think there is, you know, there's like, I think you really want to be sports specific, right? If you're going in whatever approach you're taking and, and every sport has like really kind of specific requirements as to what you, what you want to be better at. And almost more importantly, what you're probably going to be weak at, right? Yes. So like running, like I, I, I'm, I was a running coach for a long time, which is hilarious. Cause again, I could not conceive of running a mile until I was like 28. The idea of recreational running was like hilarious and disgusting to me. <laughs> but then I became one of those people who like signed up, you know, paid to run long distances, which is so silly. So anyway, I've worked with a lot of runners and, you know, runners, almost all they want to do is run. Like, right. They're like, I'm a runner. I yep. want to run. My training is to run. And when I want to train harder, I run longer. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> that's cool. And also it usually means that your glutes are weak. It usually means that your hips are tight. It usually means that your core could be a little stronger, right? And like all of these running injuries that you see plague people who do long distances, usually, you know, if they had a coach, they would be doing lots of single leg strength conditioning because essentially when you run, you're just hopping onto one leg at a time, right? So you want every muscle when it works on its own to be really, really strong. So it doesn't make a ton of sense if you are a runner to like get really good at back squatting because at no point in running are both of your feet planted on the ground and you're doing this slow controlled movement. What you want to be really good at is being able to bound and being able to carry a lot of weight, having your foot be really, really strong, having your core be really, really strong, having your glutes be really strong. You know, so I think similarly, I don't know honestly what it is for jujitsu. I think for Muay Thai, there's like one of the places where where you want to be really strong is like foot strength and calf strength and yeah. any kind of plyometrics and especially single leg plyometrics because you spend so much time up on one leg and rotating your body with all of this force. You know, you, if you if the muscles that help create that action can't handle that action you know, you're going to get injured or you're going to kind of fall into these like inferior movement patterns. So there's plenty of things that like all of us kind of, you know, should be doing to to make our bodies just holistically better supported in whatever these repetitive motions. Because essentially when you practice a sport, you're setting yourself up for a repetitive motion injury. Yeah. Right? You're doing the same thing over and over and over again. And at some point your body's going to like figure out all of these little shortcuts and then you're going to have, you know, one arm that feels really weird and another arm that feels really weird. <laughs> but yeah, hiring a hiring a strength and conditioning coach is a great idea, especially to do the things that you don't want to do on your own. <laughs> well, I think that's another reason why it's so critical to hire a strength and conditioning coach is because if you have athletic goals, 
those goals are going to be very context dependent. And that's where it helps to have someone who knows what they're doing help carve out a game plan for you in terms of what to train. Jiu-Jitsu, for example, is a very, very wide open art in terms of how you can play the game. You can have two people who both train jujitsu. The way that they do it looks totally different. Mm. The thing about jujitsu is really all you're trying to do at the end of the day is control someone and ideally get them in some sort of submission hold, right? Yeah. And you ha- can use whatever strategies are at your disposal to do that. So you will see some people who come in with a wrestling background. And basically, when they train jujitsu, what they're really doing is they're wrestling. Mm-hmm. You'll see other people who come in with a judo background. And then you'll see people who play all manner of different types of jujitsu games where they just they don't even try to take you down. They just sit on their butt, which is one of the unique things about jujitsu is you can just sit down right on the floor and still beat the other person. If you're able to entangle their legs and tip them over and knock them over. So you can have different people who train jujitsu in totally different ways. I mean, some people, the for them, the crux of their jujitsu game is working on their grip strength and being really good mm-hmm. at grabbing onto their opponent so that if they if they latch on, you'll never break their grip. And if that's your focus, you're going to have a series of different exercises and tactics. Whereas for me, I never grab onto anybody. I just find mm-hmm. it hurts my fingers. I don't like it. <laughs> So so I usually do not grab onto the person's pajamas. I try to do other stuff. And as a result, what I do is going to be different from what someone else does. And that's all the more reason to get someone involved who can kind of watch you and say, okay, I think probably for what you're doing here, you're going to need to focus on loading up your weight so you can do a more powerful wrestling shot or something like that. And so for that, here's the exercises that we should do. That kind of stuff is the sort of thing that most people are not going to be able to figure out on their own no matter how much of a pro athlete they are. And that's where Mm -hmm. I think the coaching stuff comes into play. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The grip strength is so, that's such a fascinating one too. There's a (laughs) sports guy that I did some training with, Nick Curson. He goes under speed of sport and he's here in California and his, so he, the athletes that he works with, he works so much on grip strength and on foot strength and big toe strength. And it was so fascinating for (laughs) me to do the seminar with him and just be like, big toe strength. But we did all of these, you know, strength tests and movements where he was just exploiting like, look, your your big toes really weak. And like, here's a, you know, here are these, like, here's a ranking of like the best surfers in the world. And he's like, I tested all of their big toe strength. And like (laughs) the best surfer in the world has the strongest big toe. And I was like, Oh my God, this is so fascinating. You know, like if you want to get really, really specific, you can definitely find people who can work with it. You on that. Well, I can totally see that the big toe thing, because in a lot of the grappling arts, I mean, of course I know that in, in boxing and kickboxing, you know, you're kind of planting on your feet, but in jujitsu is very much the same where you're often loading up onto the ball of your foot Mm -hmm. because number one, at a moment's notice, you need to be able to drive your entire body forward, especially if you're doing a takedown on someone, right? You need to be able to drop levels and just power your entire body forward lightning fast. And so to do that, you have to basically be loaded up on the ball of your your foot and your toes. And similarly, you have to be ready for your opponent trying to do the same thing to you, which means you have to be light on your feet because if your opponent suddenly shoots their entire body weight towards you, you've got to be able to absorb or redirect that force or you're going to have a problem. So you spend much of your jujitsu time up on the balls of your feet. Even when you're on the ground, sometimes you're, you're basing on the balls of your feet. And I have found that a lot of the time, 
it hurts your toes, right? If your toes are yeah. not strong enough to do that, to constantly be dancing on the ends of your toes and the balls of your feet, it is a skill and it takes some getting used to. And I can totally understand why at a very high level, at a very performance focused level, you would microanalyze even those little things. It would make a lot of sense. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And You know, coming back to kind of like zooming out from being the person who wants to get your big toe to be stronger, if you want to go backwards to like, I'm a person who just wants to start to work out and I've, you know, maybe gotten gotten into a habit of going to jujitsu and I want to add something else in or I want to get more consistent. You know, one of the other places where I work with my clients or and, and friends really is like, how you think of the time that you're spending on yourself doing this activity, doing these workouts. Like, I think that part of the, part of the mental shift that folks need to go through is thinking about this as like an extra or thinking about it as something that's optional, right? And everyone has so many demands in their time. And if you think of your time working out as something that's frivolous or, you know, that's selfish, it's going to be the first thing to get shoved aside when inevitably there's other demands on your time. So I think like to me, one of the places where I work with folks is like on their schedules and on the way that they communicate about their schedules to the to other people in their lives, their partners, their kids, their work. You know, I think that you have to make your calendar your best friend. You have to get really comfortable with setting some boundaries and you have to communicate to the people that you feel comfortable with in your life that like this thing that I do is important to my mental and physical well-being and is and like is a non-negotiable you know and having those conversations with the folks in my life like made a huge difference my really early on my husband and I you know we just kind of like we both had a short list of things that we do that really made us feel more whole as people and allowed us to like be the kind of people we want to be. And for me, working out was on that list. And so even if, you know, if we had gotten up in the morning and it somehow like something came up and we were supposed to run an errand all of a sudden, or we started to get into like a tense conversation, if I was supposed to go to the gym, he would even say, okay, I know that you're supposed to go to the gym. Let's put this on hold. I know this will make you feel better. Let's come back in two hours. And it was like, that was such a huge generosity. And it was, it made a huge difference in my life. And like, I think a lot of people maybe haven't had those conversations with the folks in in their world. And so I would just recommend like, whoever you can, you know, let that be known, talk about it. You know, it's funny you bring that up because something that I've noticed is that a lot of people who are, if, if they're in deep in athletics, you know, maybe they even do this full time as a job. They're like a, a professional competitor. Usually the athletic activity is the reason they get up in the morning. It's the number one priority in their life. A lot of the time it's younger people. They don't have family yet. So a battle for their attention and their time is not non-existent, right? They've made the decision to put all of their effort, all of their eggs into this basket, and they will always prioritize whatever activity they're training. But then for other people who have, um, you know, maybe this is a hobby to them, they've got to counterbalance this with everything else. Like you said, they've got career 
goals. They've got family goals. They've got things that they need to do, things that pull them away from this physical activity. And that's where I find a lot of people fall off the wagon, where Yes, maybe you can get them going on something and they might even enjoy doing it and you can get them on a workout routine for a month, two months, three months, maybe even a year. But life happens inevitably, right? Maybe, I don't know, maybe your gym closes down and you got to get a new one or maybe something crazy happens at work or you have a family situation that pulls your attention off and rightfully so. But that's when you often lose people because when someone falls off the wagon for a month or two months it's really hard to get them back in, right? It's really hard to rebuild those habits once you've taken a break. And I'd love to understand your perspective on how you help people work with that, right? If someone has a career issue or some sort of life circumstance that makes it less likely they're gonna be able to hold to their routine, how, what do you do? Do you, do you find a way to keep them going or do you let them go and try to bring them back after the fact? I mean, how do you deal with those competing priorities? Yeah. Yeah. I think all of us should have kind of a, a bucket of tools, right? And and a lot of a lot of navigating anything is gonna be pulling out tools one by one and trying them and seeing what works and seeing what works. So there's, you know, certainly not just one answer, but I a few of my things, one is like I call it the 10 minute rule. And I still to this day absolutely use this. There's just days where like I just don't freaking feel like it. I, whatever it is. <laughs> it could be a work thing. It could be but especially with exercise, like there are just days when I just like I don't feel like putting on, I I don't want to put on my shoes. I don't want to get in my car. I don't want to. And on those days, some days you really need a rest. Like some days your nervous system is taxed and there's a reason that that voice is coming up. And then other days, like, you know, it's not, it's not that. So to try to like figure out which of those days is happening, I basically have made a deal with myself that I will show up to whatever it is. If I'm going to try and go for a walk, I'm going to try to run, I'm going to try and go for the gym. And that I'm going to, as soon as I walk through the door, start a timer for 10 minutes. And if when that timer goes off, I want to leave, then I am absolutely allowed to leave. I don't guilt trip myself about it. I'm t- it's totally fine. I don't even give it a second thought. But if after 10 minutes, I want to stay, then I stay. And you know, if I, if I decide to stay, then it's usually because I'm feeling pretty good. And I have used this for myself. I can't even tell you how many times. And, you know, probably... of the time I book it after 10 minutes. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do this. And then I go back (laughs) home and I put my PJs on and that's fine, you know, but a lot of the times after 10 minutes, you've started to kick off the serotonin and the dopamine. You've started to get your heart rate up a little bit and you start to feel good. And then you leave and you're so happy that you showed up. So that's like, is my number one suggestion for anybody that's kind of struggling. And then the other piece, especially for anything that's kind of like tends towards high impact is like, trying to trying to mitigate the difference between drive and motivation and like burnout and trying to make sure that you're giving your nervous system enough from like a rest place and enough from a push place. Like I, you know, I, once I started to get into working out, I kind of had this approach of like, well, I have to like, I have to get a like really good sweat on every day. Cause that's just how I kind of get like my angst out and get my demons out. And like, I, if I don't do that, then I'd feel totally wild, which like largely is true. And there comes a point where really 
like you're you're now just creating stress in your body, right? You're not releasing it. You're keeping your nervous system so taxed that you're kind of digging yourself into a hole of exhaustion, right? And now we have all these cool like biometric tracking things where we can see like your heart rate variability starts to get really wonky because your nervous system's out of whack. So, you know, I think when you're feeling really unmotivated, I think it's also worth seeing like, is is part of that because I'm universally overtaxed that my, you know, sympathetic nervous system is just so out of it right now that like that this intuition I have to not work out is actually because I just need to like rest and shut down a little bit. You know, I'm a big fan of of meditation. I think even just a 10, a 10 minutes of shutting down can really get get us way better regulated. And so I think if somebody's having a lot of trouble kind of getting themselves going, if there are signs that like your your lifestyle, your you know family situation, your work situation, whatever, if you are just in a constant state of stress, you know maybe instead of going and taking a hit class, sitting down for ten minutes and closing your eyes is is actually the thing that your body wants most, so that you can get to a place where you actually want to do the hard stuff again. Yeah, yeah, makes tons of sense. Makes tons of sense. I guess one last thing I'd like to ask you is. Are there any universal recommendations? Is there anything that you can say without hesitation? Like, look, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you've never trained before. I don't care if you go to the gym regularly. I don't care if you're a pro athlete. You should always do these things. Are there any life tips or exercises or things that are universal recommendations across the board? So I'm, um, yes, <laughs> I really like, I'm a, I'm a writer. I like, I like to write. It's how my brain works. It's how I process. I'm not so great. This is like the worst possible medium for me, Steve. I can't like thinking, <laughs> having a thought and then verbalizing it on my mouth at the same time is like not at all how I'm oriented. But if you want to do a letter writing campaign, I'm going to sound so much more wise and pithy, but I'm a big writer. So like one of the things that I really like folks to do is to write out kind of identity statements that maybe don't feel exactly true right now, but that ring true with whatever kind of habit they're trying to create. So for instance, if you are a person who's trying to start a movement happy and trying trying to start a, you know, going to jujitsu, wants to start working out, you know, and if part of your reason or part of your core identity is like having kids and wanting to be a great dad, I think writing something down like, I am the type of person that works out every day because it's important to me to be strong and vital for my kids, all right? Or if you really identify or really kind of pride yourself on being somebody that's like really generous and of service to your community, you know, I move my body every day so that I have energy and mental clarity to like be of service in XYZ. I think we can all create these statements that ring really true with us. And those can become anchor points, mental anchor points, when we start to forget that like, this thing is actually really important to us. So I have, you know, I have so many journals and sticky notes and all kinds of, uh, you know, try not to get too woo woo, but there's a, there's a fair amount of woo woo and self affirmation. But I think it, I, you know, I think there's enough evidence that like, our, our beliefs around our identity manifest in the actions and choices we make that I think that that's something that anybody can do. Anybody can find a reason why moving their body and maintaining a sense of like health and well-being 
is important to some core value that they have. The other thing is to make yourself a pump up playlist. I have so many playlists. One of my favorite, I just don't feel like doing shit today songs to put on is called Get Up, Get Out. And it's like huge beats, drops right in. And then all of a sudden there's this like the sample of it is just a voice being like, you're incredible. You're beautiful. You got it. You know, and it's like this crazy dance song. It's totally ridiculous. And, you know, I have this whole playlist of songs when I'm just like, just having trouble getting out of the house. I'm like, okay, time to put on the go get it playlist, crank it up to 10. And, you know, five minutes later, I'm like sprinting out of my door. It's funny what a difference music makes. I mean, on the supernatural front, like you guys are always publishing new exercises, new routines with new music. And the music is such a part of that. And man, like when you find the one that vibes with you, then it's just amazing what a difference it makes. I mean, there's this one that uh, Coach Doc has and the playlist is what, what is it? It's In the Club by 50 Cent. Headsprung, and then it's uh, oh, yeah. X going to give oh, to you by DMX. DMX. Like, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is scientifically proven that you like you have to be hyped when you're listening to that. It is impossible to listen to that to DMX and not be hyped out of your mind. So you, I can blow through that exercise routine like a hundred times without getting tired because the music, <laughs> the music gets you so pumped up. Hundred <laughs> percent. Oh my gosh, hundred percent. What I love about that example you gave, though, about um, writing down your affirmations is you're tying those to something that is meaningful elsewhere in your life. I think the mistake that too many people have when they set fitness related goals is they're, they're setting fitness goals for fitness sake. So they'll say something like, I want to be the kind of person who goes to the gym because I want to have rock hard abs. Well, I mean, maybe that's important to you, but to a lot of people, what's probably more important is the stuff that you said, which is the fitness empowers other areas of my life. Being healthy empowers other areas of my life. So that's so important if you're not a professional athlete, right? Tying these activities back to the things in your life that really matter to you. So I think that's a really awesome approach to making the fitness meaningful and teaching people that this stuff doesn't live in a bubble, right? You don't go to the gym and then do that in complete isolation from the rest of your life. These things are related and those Mm -hmm. activities are what give you the fuel and help you tune your engine so you can achieve your other goals it's not just fitness for exercise's sake yeah totally yeah exactly and i think you know i think it's also like it's also totally okay for you to have a dozen different motivations for wanting to work out and one of those could be that you want to like have abs or like feel more confident naked, you know, like it's, they don't have to all be, you know, really shallow and aesthetic. And they also don't all have to be really deep and meaningful. And like, I don't even acknowledge that I have a body, you know, like you're allowed to pull from all of those areas and have like this deck of cards of reasons. But I think it's important to kind of like inventory those and have them in your arsenal so that you can kind of draw on whatever you need in the moment. Amazing. Amazing. Well, let me ask Leanne, is is there anything that you wanted to touch on here that we didn't bring up today? Any closing thoughts or important points that we missed? I'm good. I actually ha- just realized what time it is and I have to run to go get acupuncture, <laughs> which is part of my keeping myself uh, healthy and sane. Yeah, this has been so wonderful. It's been such a delight to chat with you. And, and yeah, thank you so much. Uh, you as well. 
Well, let me ask then if people want to check out your work, if they want to follow you or get in contact with you, how do they do that? Yeah. So I am on the internet, social media, I believe at at Leanne Pedante. And if you can figure out how to spell any of that, then congratulations. I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> and I have a website, LeannePedante.com. I, nothing particularly super happening on there, except that I, I do have a newsletter that I'm going to kickstart in 2022. And I just send out about once a month or every six weeks with resources to articles or links or playlists. So yeah, you can check out leampedante.com and then getsupernatural.com is where you can find our workouts. Of course. And I'll put all of that in the show notes. If you've got a Quest a VR headset, I definitely recommend checking that out. And of course, if anyone wants to check out our stuff, get in contact with me, see all the podcast episodes, check out our articles, you can do that at bjjmentalmodels.com. That's the home base for us. Additionally, if you're looking to dive in deeper, we've got our awesome premium service, which powers the, the podcast here is what keeps us afloat. You can check that out at premium.bjjmentalmodels.com. Tons of amazing premium content on there with guests who uh, go really deep into mindset stuff peak performance coaching please do check that out again there's a free trial so you can check it out with no risk premium.bjjmentalmodels.com leanne thank you so much for hopping by i really appreciate this chat been looking forward to it for a long time and i hope this was uh, helpful to the listeners out there as well yes thank you so much to you and i'll see you in the headset <laughs> see you in vr and of course to everyone out there who listens to us every week always greatly appreciated and we'll talk to you guys next time